everyone. Welcome to What Are You Watching? I'm Alex Withrow, and I'm joined by my best man, Nick Dostal. How you doing there, Barbie girl? <laughs> I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm very excited to be here today for a, a plethora of reasons. I'm excited as well because, you know, we recorded our Nolan podcast last weekend, which everyone's been a very good sport about listening to that podcast. I've gotten a lot of feedback on it. Uh, okay, let me just start with that. I've gotten a lot of questions if we recorded that out of order or or how we did it. We recorded that how we normally do, which is in order. I was a little cute with putting the rankings first, so I knew what I was doing. I knew I was going to put it in reverse, which is why I kind of kept saying like things like, are you watching closely and all that silly stuff. So it was a challenge to edit. I had to edit it very quickly because I wanted it to come out the day that Oppenheimer hit theaters on July 20th, 2023. But yes, that, that was a lot of fun to put together and record with you and our longest pod ever, which our we did longest. not intend. Our longest pod at three hours and 39 minutes. Who would have thought? Didn't even, and, and I cut it down because we were at like, I think, 405 and I cut some stuff out, just some repetitiveness. So that's crazy. We did not intend for that to happen. Not at all. I I, I don't know how it does, but I would cut it if I felt that it got stale the conversation but it just felt it just like didn't. it was moving in reverse in re- now <laughs> so, let, let me ask when you were editing did you feel at any point like ah oh, shit i think i i bit off more than i can chew i, I gotta just oh my god this. yeah i i had to do like if you look at look up memento on wikipedia there's an actual like chart graph of how the narratives work how one's going one direction another's going the other direction and they meet and that's when you know it crosses from black and white to color it was a bit of that because I got confused. I was getting confused a few times. So I like literally had to do like a math equation and map it out and go, no, this is where you cut. This is how. And then, of course, I was worried that people would get confused. But I, I figured, you know, it's just a one off. It's just for fun. Whatever. Yeah. No one's not worried if people get confused. You just got to roll with it. I you got to roll with it, baby. <laughs> We recorded that one. It was a lot of fun. And then this Oppenheimer one is very different because we had seen all those Nolan films a bunch or even if we had seen them once, we'd had days to think about them, which was the case for you with Tenet. This is, you know, we're recording this on Saturday, July 22nd in the morning. Yep. (laughs) And I saw this on Thursday. You saw this just last night. So I've had like a day to think about it. You saw it, went to bed, woke up, and now you're recording this. So we are brand new. (sighs) We have not talked about how we felt. So let's just start there. What did we think? I fucking loved it. <laughs> oh my God. I'm so fucking relieved. Dude, we talked on the phone for reasons while I will get into on Friday. And I was very coy. You were like, just say, did you like it yep. or not like it? And I was like, I liked it. Uh, this was fucking astounding, dude. Oh. This thing is fucking miraculous. Like, very mature, yeah. very intelligent. Oppenheimer, I'll just say right up front this is not an action movie. Nope. This is not Dunkirk. This is not Tenet marvelously put together not in a way that is going to confuse you i mean, it, it might be like oh okay i see what he's doing here but it's not a dunkirk assembly everything flows so well and a few times throughout it you get what he's doing based on construction based on performance and it yeah my mind was blown so many times and 
I I will I'll tease early on that you and I did not see this movie under the correct circumstances, no. not how we intended. But noting that the fact that the movie punched through and we still liked it this much, I love this. But please give me some reasons why you liked it. And I just want to say up top, this one we will not be doing spoilers at all. Yeah. You know, it's it kind of says something about the movie that we all know where this is going. We we all know what the outcome was, the probable outcome, but it has to depend more on micro as opposed to macro we all know the titanic is going to sink but what's going to happen to jack and rose so that's what we're not going to spoil but yeah l- let me have it i want to hear it and, and it's interesting that you even talk about spoilers because i actually wouldn't even know how to spoil this movie because well that's what i mean yeah that's that's why i, I just don't want to reveal it has some real signature moments oh and yes those it i does. just don't want to reveal and in of order course. to have a full conversation about this We'd have to ruin all those things, but this has been in theaters for a day, so we're gonna be we're gonna be you know a little patient, and we'll talk about it. It's not the last time we're gonna talk about this movie. It's gonna be nominated for a boatload of Oscars, I'm almost certain. So it'll be brought up again. And it was, um, you know, we they they throw around that biopic word a lot, and I think this really was this this. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, it it but in a very unconventional way because you're talking about a guy and a time, and what was going on and. Almost which one matters more? And I think that was something that the, the question movie the movie posed, is this about this guy or is this about the situation? Yep. I mean, I loved it. But you know what was funny was that I remember uh, about a half hour into the movie. Now, these people who showed up, they showed up late. Oh, people showed up a half hour late? A half hour late and AMC. Jesus Christ. And at AMC where they give you 20 30 minutes. minutes of- yep previews nicole kidman all that shit yeah. all that and so oh this guy God. he crosses into my row and so we're a half hour in and he kind of jokingly but also at the same time kind of seriously goes what did we miss to you to me yeah <laughs> and i thought about it and what was insane was i go you know not much <laughs> yeah yeah they right kind of summed it up i go we're just following his life I, I was I, I thought about that for a long time, and then about maybe like an hour into the movie, I kind of thought the same thing. Mm-hmm. We, like the movie is just it, it moves in such a specific type of way, where everything and nothing is happening at the same time. In a way, I don't know. Yeah. Does that make yeah. any sense? It's very cool. He's always been so confident with his editing in yeah. terms of how a film is constructed, but then how long or little he's holding scenes because this thing is just zipping by zip 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 i would actually argue that oppenheimer despite being his longest movie running it at three hours this thing cooks yeah because it is written by christopher nolan with much more of a social network sentiment yes, much more of a much. network sentiment honestly where it's just rat-a-tat-tat-a-tat-tat it has this rhythm where it's going and going and with each cut you may be jumping around in time a little bit not in a way that's confusing because like you said we're really focused on this one guy and how he got to where he is when the manhattan project starts and then you know the result of the manhattan project so when you say yeah you didn't miss much it's because like in those first 30 minutes i just like leaned back and went oh we've gone like full malik here yeah we're in, like yep, tree of life yep, bouncing yep. around where we're cutting in present I, i'm using present day with quotes let's say like post bomb oppenheimer with 
young college Oppenheimer. And then we're, we're cutting in these like visions of how he views atomic energy, how it makes sense to him. And which is really cool to see. And we're just moving and the score is going and we're going and going and it doesn't really let up. And you're just in like this montage that goes on for, I don't know how long, but it, but it never gets like tiresome. It's not like a Magnolia thing where he's really challenging in those, us in those first 10 minutes. And we're like, Oh my God, is the whole movie going to be like this? And then it slows down. Oppenheimer's not that crazy, but it, it has this pace. It's like, boom, boom, boom. I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson was another director I thought a lot watching this. The I, I love that you brought up Malik. That's such a good call. This is, oh, it's got yeah. so much of that. Um, one thing I noticed, I know we're, we're already jumping around so much. Um, hey, that's okay. So the score. Oh my God. <laughs> th- this score, I, I started to pay attention to it at one point because- Outside of a few moments, the score is nonstop. Yeah, it never lets up. It never yeah. lets up. And I, I thought about it. I was like, man, what a what an interesting challenge for, um, I'm going to butcher their name, Ludwig Goransson. Is that how you say? Goransson, yeah. Goransson. Yeah. yeah. Oscar winner for Black Panther yep. and, of course, scored Tenet. Yeah. This score is so much more about the storytelling of the movie. And Mm -hmm. you're bouncing back and forth between so many different types of scenes that are cut so quickly. And the music is jumping with it. Sometimes it's slowing down. Sometimes it's picking up. It's building. I'm wonder. I really love to know the process of this must have had to have been put together by the score after the movie. Like, because how could you put together a score and then use it like this? Well, you know, it's crazy. I will have to do more research on Oppenheimer specifically, but Nolan is extremely different with his composers, whether it's, you know, David Julian or Hans Zimmer or Lewin Gornson, in which he tells them what an idea of what the movie is going to be about. And then they start scoring. Yeah. So he was sending him tracks for Tenet that were final cut tracks before they even filmed. Yeah. He gave Hans Zimmer a basically a one page description about what Interstellar was going to be. Yep. And then he went off for it's, it's several months, if not a year fiddling with that score and coming up, oh, let's go with organs, maybe doing that before they'd even shot a frame of it. I have to assume they followed that somewhat for Oppenheimer, but it is like, I mean, we say this a lot, but it is like a character in this in the movie. Whereas Tenet, oh, so Tenet much. it's like this that should have been nominated for an Oscar because that's like that's its own thing. And you're listening. And right away with Tenet, my first viewing, I did not like that movie, but I was like, all right, this score is amazing. It's just yeah. so bombastic. It's like I listen to that when I'm working out. Like I mentioned, like <laughs> it's so I, I throw boxing combinations to it. Oppenheimer is not that. But I coincidentally, I did listen to the Oppenheimer score during my workout this morning because I I wanted to feel it like how lived in it was. And I'm listening to it and I'm like, man, I could write to this. I could work out to this. Like it has some real just swelling moments, but it's much more subtle, but still, yeah, never yep. lets up. The, the and tension. it never gets annoying ever, 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 ever. And sometimes I feel like you notice it much more in TV, I think, or bad movies where the score, you start to feel manipulated by it. It's yeah. not when it's supposed to be intentional. It's right. just when all of a sudden, like you get taken out of everything, and you realize you're looking at a at a scene on a box or a screen, and this music is happening. It's like, oh, they're trying to tell me how I want to feel right now. <laughs> yeah, and do that, this now. Yes. Yeah, and, yes, and that's when that's when it's all over. Like that's the magic is mm-hmm. cut out. And I noticed that throughout this, I did have that that realization at one point. But I go. But this is just so good. Like this, like there, this is all so intentional in this way. 
it would be it would be we the rhythm of the movie would be thrown off if the score wasn't nonstop like this. It needs it. It needs that sort of propulsiveness. And like a lot of Nolan's best work, this movie relies very heavily on sound. And we're yeah. going to get to kind of all the technical oh. stuff a little. Oh, my God. A little later. But, you know, like I'm saying about the construction, there are there are jumps in time in Oppenheimer, but it was clear to me like 20 minutes in that he wasn't interested in confusing us. Like you'd have a little montage over here and you go, okay, now that thing's done. But he sets up uh, not unlike the social network when we're just wait, uh, are we in this like conference room now? Like what's going on? And they're talking about some case that we haven't seen. I got vibes of that. And he establishes very well your kind of home basis of where you can be grounded in two narratives. I'll say one narrative. One narrative is running in muted color that looks gorgeous. And the other narrative is running in stark black and white, which looks gorgeous, both of which were shot on 65 millimeter IMAX film. They had to create a special type of black and white film stock just for this movie. The entire movie is captured in IMAX film. I I believe it's the first to have ever done that. That's uh, really a technical achievement in and of itself. But moreover than Oppenheimer, than uh, all this structure, this is a movie about a real guy who figured out how to modernize warfare. And the world hasn't had a world war since the creation of atomic or nuclear bombs. And we all sort of know the deal. (laughs) If a world war happens, like I live 20 miles from Washington, DC, I'm toast, you know, they'll hit LA a little later. They can, they can wait a little bit on LA, but I'm saying like, we all know what it would be. And what Oppenheimer, the film taps into so well is that you're watching this and there's a little bit of Bridge on the River Kwai, where they have this mission. And they're like, okay, we got to do this. We got to build this fucking thing because that's our mission. We can't let the Nazis do this. But then when you realize what you have done and the literal power of what you have created can do and in all likelihood will do, what then? And leaving us with those moments, having it just bounce off Killian Murphy's face uh, was truly breathtaking. And, and, I, and the absence of caring. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That's a huge part of it for the movie's purposes to give us uh, something to chew on was how basically the power side of things didn't care about what we had done. It was all about. No. Yes. And almost being proud of it. Yeah. Being proud of the destruction and the show of American military force. And I mean, this this should happen in real life. Yeah, this is crazy. Like this actually happened. Yeah, there is a detachment with some of the characters in the movie that is very frank. And you're like, wow. And Oppenheimer is a movie about process. Nolan loves process like I do. So it's like, you know, we got to go make something. So we have this amount of time go. And it's also a movie about consequences like we're talking about. So as the narrative progresses, we see the weight of everything that's going on rest on Oppenheimer slash Killian Murphy's shoulders. And because he is the movie, like there is no separation, even in the way they made it, which I'll get into that as we go. But as things go on and as it progresses with each passing day, seemingly, he's like, holy shit, like, is this really going to happen? Like, I know we're building it just to prove that we can, but like, are we really going to use this thing? Is this really going to happen? It's it's fucking nuts. Everything about this movie was effective. Everything about it was just so, oof, man, getting chills. 
Yeah, and I'll be really brief with my plot description because this film is essentially about the Manhattan Project, which was a group of the brightest scientists in the world who isolated themselves in New Mexico with their families, which was really smart because it took them years to create the world's first atomic bomb. They're creating this bomb. This was such an interesting narrative that I just had no idea about. They're creating this bomb, of course, to defeat the Nazis, who apparently have up to two years of a head start on creating a similar weapon. That's like half the movie. And then the other half or so are the consequences of such a creation, the emotional consequences, the human consequences, and of course, the political consequences. But this being Nolan, it's not like these halves are perfectly cut into 90 minutes. He's mixing them up and showing us cause and effect or effect and cause in real time, which is which is really cool. So obviously, we really liked the movie we did, which is really great. But I kind of want to get to how we saw it as a way of thank God backing up that the movie is still good because we're giving it a positive review and that how we probably want to see it again. And it's uh intended presentation so i don't know who wants to go first i mean i saw the movie first so i can go first <laughs> well i know i'll go first because your story is way better <laughs> well yeah i have to be careful <laughs> details but go ahead well yeah you, you can go ahead. you can be yeah you, you can decide how you want but so so basically mad my mad movie buffs i'm an idiot <laughs> i took for granted that i live in one of if not the biggest movie city in the world and i thought to myself well surely buying tickets a week before you know <laughs> this movie opens in IMAX 70 millimeter which there are only like 12 screens in the country there's 12 screens in the whole country and i think three or four of them are in yep. los angeles yeah and so i'm like well i need to see this on friday night cuz we're recording the pod on saturday so i don't have a weekend <laughs> even option i'm like all right, right. I'll, I'll, I'll and then all of a sudden i'm like oh there are no IMAX tickets <laughs> at all <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, to your credit, we have not had to do this in several years. Well, yeah, I'm burying the fact yes. of I honestly should have mentioned it up top of how fucking cool it is that we're actively living a weekend when the number one discussion is film. It's yes. movies. We're yes. in Barbenheimer weekend. Uh, I shouldn't have waited 25 minutes to say this, but no, like, this is a celebration. That's so cool. Yeah, it is. It's a celebration. That's one of the main reasons we wanted to do this podcast because it's like everyone's talking about movies this weekend, even if it's just two. My aunt is talking about movies. I'm doing yep. Barbenheimer with her tomorrow in a theater. Boom, boom. One after the other. My dad's talking about movies. My wife is like everyone I work with is. It's Great. So I have not had to buy a ticket more than a week out. Certainly not pre-COVID. I mean, since pre-COVID. Certainly not. Certainly. No, even when Top Gun came out. I, no, I got, I, that was like a week before. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think I got IMAX tickets like a couple, like a day before, like prime mm -hmm, time mm -hmm. weekend spot. Like I, it was crazy. I got to say LA showed up to the movies big time. Like I couldn't believe. I mean, Granted, a lot of this was Barbie, which is well, yeah, great. yeah, yeah. But Good. I mean, awesome. <laughs> the amount of people dressed up. Oh yeah, I hadn't even seen the movie. Like this is 
This was like a cult following on something like the Rocky Horror Picture Show where everyone knows the movie and they're mm-hmm. dressed up as however they are. No one's even seen this thing yet. Right. And the the photo ops that are there, like the, the theater I went to had this giant Barbie box. Like you remember? So like did how, mine. Yeah. So did mine. And, and, I, and, I saw it in Alamo last night. Barbie, yeah. I mean. But yeah, yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> And all of this, and so I'm walking in, and um, I I went to I went to go get a drink at the AMC bar. There's a name for them. They they're all called the same thing. I forgot what they're called. Uh, oh, shit. Called what are they called? Are they called MacGuffins? It's, it's what it's it is. That's what it is. It's, it's like it's a it's a pun. <laughs> yep. And everyone's doing the Barbie thing, and they're like, "Are you going to see Barbie?" I'm like, "No, I'm actually I'm going the other direction. I'm I'm starting with Oppenheimer." And I and I to your point, I was like, "This is I can't remember the last time." There was a unanimous feel good. I'm going to the movies. I am here for whatever's happening. And though what was crazy, though, was that um, me being having a bladder of a 98 year old infant, I did have to get up a couple times, just twice during Oppenheimer. But fortunately, the bathroom was right near my theater. So I just like ran in, ran out. But each time I did, I'm in the emotional weight of whatever's happening in Oppenheimer. I open the doors and it is just pink and fun. Barbie and town, baby. Barbie, Barbie town. Land. Everyone. Because I happened to apparently catch the screenings where everyone was either coming in or coming out. Right. So the energy was just off the chart. And I'm just like, maybe everyone can chill a little bit. <laughs> I had that almost exact same thing happen to me about like exiting the theater. But yeah, so your thing is that you didn't get to see it in IMAX. Yes. I mean, I you will to have it. to fork out to dough. I mean, you yes. got to go to that Chinese theater and I see an IMAX 70 millimeter. It's like it, I, and it'll be around for a while. But God, I would. Oh, man, I would love to do that. God, I would love to see it there. Yeah. The the only thing I can say is that I very much enjoyed my movie going experience, even with the theater that I was at. But in watching it, I could see and tell like I was like, I know how awesome this is going to be in that IMAX mm-hmm. with that sound, because even the sound in our theater was very good. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. Um, and and I was entranced the whole entire time. Only kind of thinking about, man, I can't wait to see this again the right way, which unfortunately, I don't think you can say that you didn't have a completely entranced experience. No, I did not. Um, Yeah, this is this is tough. This is tough. First, I have to start with, I suppose, uh, an error like uh, similar to what you made. I myself and clearly most of the people in my theater were under the assumption that we had purchased tickets to an IMAX 70 millimeter screening. We had actually purchased tickets to a 70 millimeter screening, which is cool. So I got to watch it on film. I got to see the flicker of the film. That was cool. But it was in a regular sized AMC theater. The IMAX screening was playing right next door. So I was walking in a little bummed about that because I would have, yeah, you know, it's sold out everywhere in IMAX near me for the next two weeks. It is not sold out on 70 millimeter film. I could go right after this recording and see it on film. I I cannot go see it in IMAX because it's sold out. So that was a little bit of a bummer. And then I got there before the movie started. It sold out and it, hmm, it became clear, very clear to me very quickly that there was 
uh, one extremely disruptive person in the theater, extremely disruptive, and they, in effect, ruined the movie for most of the people in that theater. And there, this had to do with a lot of uh, shouting out. And this is all happening like in the first 20 minutes of the movie, there were a number of walkouts because of this person, because it was clearly making people uncomfortable. There were quite a few people who went to tell the staff that they should kick this person out. The person wasn't kicked out. And I, you know, uh, I, I, I don't I don't work at the theater, so I couldn't tell you why. That's about all I can say. Um, but it was very noticeable and it was distracting. And we were all offered refunds at the end so because so many people had left. Oh, my. God. Yeah, it, it was uh it was very strange, and I really want people to go to the movies, but you, uh, you know, I don't want to like turn people off or go to the movies. But it was, yeah, it was very, it was an extremely strange experience. No one was pleased about it. I think we were all equally angry that the person was not asked or forced to leave, which was uh, just a kind of a confusing thing. So that's going on for three hours. Oh. That, that, that's 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 what's going on, and there was nothing. I mean, no one's going to physically pick someone up and drag them out of a theater. So everything that could be done, telling, asking the person to be quiet, telling them to be quiet, asking them to be escorted out, like nothing was done. And, you know, we're all just like sitting there hoping that there's not another outburst. And so that's and I could see the person the whole time. So that's in the back of my head. That thing's playing out. And when maybe you'd forget for a little bit that there was a distraction, uh, he, he would let you know. He he would let his presence be known and you go, there it is. So it's weird. I've had some funky ass movie screenings in my day. A lot of them. You know, we've we've talked about memorable movie going experiences. Yeah. One of our first ever episodes. I've had some weird ones. This was just a bummer because I'm watching the movie and I'm like, this is a really good movie. And I'm taken out of it constantly. It, it would have been the same as watching it at home and having Allie be on her phone the whole time and like ask me questions not related to the movie. And I had to be forced to answer them for, you know, 30 seconds at a time. It it was kind of like that. So thankfully I am doing Barbenheimer tomorrow with my aunt. It was her idea. You know, we're not doing an IMAX because they're not available, but we're doing Oppenheimer at like 11, 10 AM and then Barbie at 3.30 PM. So I'm very excited about that. I'm just excited to see it again and hopefully a much more... <laughs> reserved setting because everyone who stayed for the movie and who was in my screening was enjoying it but it's this also isn't something that i'm i'm not exaggerating if anything you know the full story so i think you know i'm downplaying it quite significantly in a few areas um but it 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 did happen and it's just something that happened and honestly i did consider uh even before the movie began just leaving and then i got on my phone and i'm like this fucking thing isn't available in IMAX for weeks. Like, yeah. I, I, and I, I either want to see it first on film or on IMAX. So I'm, I'm going to duke it out and sit here. But that would have been, <laughs> that would have been the way I wanted to experience the movie for the first time, the least. But it just happens. And that's the world we live in. And it's very interesting to me that, uh, just do your fucking job, people. Like, I, I worked at a movie theater for years. Yeah. I was a manager at a movie theater when I was 18 years old. 18 years old. I had to kick out 45, 50, 60-year-olds. You got to do it. I mean, you at least got to try. They didn't even come in and try. Like, just so... It was weird. It was weird. It was weirder than shit. It was weird and... I, 
I couldn't have stayed. Ali would have been like, I'm gone. I'm fucking gone. I don't know if this dude has a weapon. Like, I'm out. I'll I'll see you. I was seeing it at a mall, and she'd be like, I'll see you in three hours. Bye. She would not have been able to do it. And there were a few people, the people right next to him and the people in front of him because he kept kicking their chairs. They left and got refunds. And so it was, uh, yeah, I mean, I thought about it, but I'm thankfully because I had a vantage point where I could like see him. I don't, I don't really get like intimidated in that way no, I get no, very yeah, annoyed yeah. and very frustrated but it was a it was a distraction throughout i i remember <laughs> i had the banshees of inner sharon movie experience ruined for me all because of something not even remotely as extreme as what you had but there was a giant gap in the seats from me to the end of the aisle where there was no one in between though and this dude just comes in with a backpack full of food and oh, just you starts, told me this, just starts having fucking lunch and just start like he, he sets up a basically a, a buffet for himself. He's using all the chairs around him <laughs> and and the, the smell of the food because it's all different types of right. food. So so you're getting like a whiff of like like very burgers burritos yeah sushi whatever the fuck it's gonna be it ain't popcorn you know and he's and he's just as if no one's there and and he's like laughing up a storm making all this noise i i couldn't even my focus was on him just just watching just oh and i yeah so that, that that's um I, I can't for some reason like it, I I need conditions to be perfect in a movie for me to be able to like take off yeah so to speak I mean yeah like even how we saw Babylon that that was the same theater I saw Oppenheimer at same theater mm-hmm. so you know th- that was not that that screening sucked because the women behind us were not into the movie and we oh, very yeah. much were into the movie Making and that known. crowd down in front of us were on their fucking phones the whole time for oh. three hours and ten minutes. And I was like, and people asked them to get off and they just didn't care. And I'm, I'm like, movies cost money. Why are you here? But all this stuff, I mean, it, it's staffing issues with the food eating thing. Come in and be like, yo, you're not, you can't do that here. No outside food or drink, pack it up or leave. Like, it, you know, with my thing, like come in and check the theater and be like, whoa, whoa. That's one thing I'll say about Alamo. They know how to kick people out if you're on your phone or talking. But anyway, it's like, I knew watching it, I- I'm back to Oppenheimer now, my screening. Ooh. I'm like, hey, if the movie punches through, then it, this is a hell of a movie because I, I already have my IMAX Air and Space Museum ticket, which is like, those I did, those sold out like months in advance. So I mine is for August 4th, which is a <laughs> Friday, and they do not have assigned seating. So I'm literally getting there two hours early. I'm going to have a pod. I'm just going to like stand in line. That's what you do. Like I have my ticket, but you stand in line. And that's, I've never really seen a movie under better circumstances than that it's astounding the screen's like 86 feet tall and i've seen dark knight there dunkirk all of his movies since dark knight so i'm very very extremely fucking looking forward to that and i would not be if i did not like the movie and i really love this movie so uh, yeah yeah. all by way of saying like we're just sharing our screenings we like to talk about movie screenings Oh, and I mean, to, to wrap that up, when we all got out, we're all like kind of morose because, you know, Oppenheimer is not like really a feel good movie of the year, but it was also like a weird screening. And then we were in theater two and theater one and theater three were both Barbie and they all both were letting out at about the same time. And it was just, <laughs> yeah, the pink and honestly kind of put me in a good mood. I was like, well, they had a lot of fun. Jesus. Oh, my you know? God. <laughs> I can't. And I already had my 
Friday 6 p.m. ticket, which I so I saw Barbie last night. I'm going to get into that and just, you know, polar opposite screening experience. Everyone, including myself, had a fucking ball the entire time. All races, all ages, all shapes and sizes. It was great. And everyone, I mean, we were all locked in in Oppenheimer. Like, people yeah. were locked in. I was in the back fucking row in the far left seat. I could see everyone. We were locked in. Just not one person. And that's just not know, one that's person. the way it goes. Yeah, there there was, uh, to, to a testament of how locked in you get with that movie, um, I had a sold out screening myself. And, and LA crowds are usually pretty good. Like, we, we, yeah, we, we, yeah. we know to shut up when the movie starts. Um, there were a few people in like a couple rows behind me that were just, I think they were trying to keep up with the movie when it first started because you could just hear them still like just whispering, but whispering what's loudly. What's this? What's this? What's yeah, this? What, yeah. What happened? What happened? Yeah. Because yeah. the pacing of the movie does just start. And it starts, it throws you in. It is not a horse race beginning. You're nope. in like the first second of the horse race. Catch up, baby. Exactly. And th- that pacing does not let up the entire movie. It just starts there and goes. But about 20 minutes in, everyone is quiet as a fucking church mouse. Goddamn and right. just really, really in it. And... um. And and I I was very glad, except for that one guy who came in late and asked me what he, what he missed. I had a lot of late people, too. It was uh, weird. I was I'm like, yeah, a lot of late people. But then also, like I saw we both seen Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One. Got my ticket. I'm seeing it again tonight. I, after we record this, you know what I'm doing? I'm going to a gorgeous movie theater to see Dial M for Murder, the Hitchcock ooh. film in 3D. In oh, 3D. How wait, wait, so when cool it comes out at you, you're like the that that I'm gonna like, grab yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. And then I'm going straight to a different theater to see Mission Possible Dead Reckoning Part One again because I want to, and I'm looking forward to that. My point, getting a little off track here. My point is that Mission Impossible with previews is three hours. You know, John yeah. Wick Four with previews is three hours. Those movies did not have popcorn refills bathroom breaks at least not in large in my screenings oppenheimer had a lot because of that one fucking guy it was just taking people out the whole goddamn time (sighs) anyway did i tell you i saw john wick for no when where how on on the plane so so not not, i fucking loved it jesus christ man (laughs) you i asked you if you wanted to go see in the theater you said no because you you told me that you did not like the way one ended, and you—I swear to God—you've told you told me that you had never seen any of the other ones. So that's why I did that. Oh, podcast. that's not true. I I've seen two and three. I had no fucking clue that you had seen two and three. No, I saw both two and three with Dan because Dan made me go. He loves them because I didn't want to see two and three because the first one I loved. And then was so pissed because it would have been a perfect ending if he had just died. died it would have been a yeah. perfect revenge story. But no, he gets up and gets another dog. And I go, well, now here we go. And I didn't like two because what I thought was so cool about one was like how the, like you don't know about the world. That is like a really cool part of it. Yeah. It's a cool part. But then, too, they did the thing. I go, I go, they're going to do it. They're going to open up the whole open thing. It up. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's going to be dumb. And you know what? I thought it was dumb, but it's still they're fun movies. I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't hate my experience with two and three, but like I remember three. I go and now we're in the desert. Like like what? This was just a story about a man who's avenging his dead dog, and now we're in the freaking desert. 
But yeah, what do you think of four? What do you think of four? Give it to me. I I love four from top to bottom. Like I I uh, I had a couple cocktails on the plane. Oh yeah, and um and I think it was easier for me to forgive all of my things with it because. I, I already knew what this was. I wasn't expecting anything. I was like, all right, let's just sit down and have a good time and forget that like at one time this could have been very cool. Oh God. And 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 I was kind of locked in in the very beginning when as soon as he's like punching the bag Boom. and then Boom. and then Lawrence Whisperance is like basically, are you ready? He turns around and he goes, Yeah. And I go, okay, all right. <laughs> you you pretty much sold me with just Keanu just being Keanu. Because let's face it, I guess at the end of the day, that's all we want to see. We just, just want to see Keanu Reeves in fights with fucking nunchucks, kicking ass, just kicking kickin ass. ass. And and but yes, I really liked four. If I had to do an order, it would be one, four, three, and two. Cool, cool. Um, you had a cup of cocktails the first time you watched that. I apparently had a fucking horse tranquilizer because that's where I fainted my first viewing of that. <laughs> yeah, it was, no. it was, uh, it I'm, was when I'm he sorry, put I'm his laughing. fucking, <laughs> I don't know. It's funny. It's hilarious. It's when he put his, uh, that knife through his hand and he was like, I could pull, you could pull the knife out or you could take your hand out. That's when I started feeling a little fuzzy wuzzy and oh boy, uh, oh boy. I'm, I don't know why this is terrible to me. Every time. I've referred to this incident of you it's happening. Okay, you can laugh. Everyone laughs. My wife thinks it's fucking hilarious. I so like I, I remember the first time. Like, well, once I knew you were okay, yeah. like that that was that that was when it was changed. When once I knew you were okay and everything was fine. So I remember I talked to someone. And I go, I go, yeah, my 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 best friend just faints in the hospital, and I would just start laughing. And they're like, why yeah. are you laughing yeah. about this? And I go, I don't know, yep. I don't know, because it's fucking funny. It's fucking hilarious because it happened for no reason. Yeah, it happened for no reason. It just happened. That's also, also, but that is where I saw this screening of Oppenheimer as well. It's all the same theater, so maybe there's a tread. Um, No glasses anymore, though. I got LASIK. No glasses, so I wouldn't. It'd be a different fall now because the the glasses (laughs) punctured punctured my face. The glasses punctured my face, so I don't know if they help things, if they hurt things. Without the glasses there... I probably wouldn't have had because I had like I had a really bad cut under my I mean, that fucker could have gone into my eye. We're talking centimeters. Yeah. That's what the doctor was like. Yeah, you could legitimately be blind right now. And I'm like, thanks, doc. I didn't do this on purpose. I didn't fucking face plant. Uh. It was rough. But yeah, that'd be interesting with no glasses. But yeah, no glasses. LASIK. What's up? Back to Oppenheimer, <laughs> folks. Let's do some Oppenheimer movie trivia here. Let's, Let's do tell it. the folks some non-spoiler stuff about it because I found out some baffling shit about this movie after I saw it. Jesus Christ. I'm going to drop the... T- the uh, I can't even talk. I'm going to drop the biggest one right up front. Some people may know this. I'm only talking about it on the podcast because it is a part of the marketing. It's something Christopher Nolan is very keen on us knowing. When Oppenheimer ended, when the movie ended, I sat through all the credits, mostly to see what that guy would do, but I also wanted to see the credits, and the Oppenheimer end credits are very short, which usually means they had a very small visual effects team. And then I came to learn that the motion picture Oppenheimer, which cost $100 million to make, which was shot fully on IMAX, (laughs) does not contain a single computer graphic shot. There is not a single shot of CGI in this film. They blew up 
a test atomic bomb like on not like a real one of course but they they convince us that they did that without using computer imagery i love movies i love this art form i i cannot ever i i tried to look this up i can't think of a movie with this size budget that has not used visual effects it it's baffling that most of what you see in oppenheimer if not all of it was filmed in front of that IMAX camera. He uses one camera to shoot. They shoot with one IMAX camera. It's insane. I I, I don't know. I this is this is the, the a level of filmmaking that goes back to the dawn of cinema. I mean, this is like Chaplin with John Ford. With it's crazy. So whether you like the movie or not, that's up to you. But the way in which this is made is. This is an, this is going to be an all timer in terms of how this was made. It will go down in the annals of history for me as a legendary w- film achievement. <laughs> I want to know what he used to show those insert cuts of like the neurons and neutrons and like all the all all that really the atom stuff. I mean, you can you can put a, a camera on a fucking microscope like you can do that or on a telescope or something. Those are actual things in science that we're seeing that were not manipulated with a computer. Oh. It, it's baffling. I mean, Kubrick didn't have computer imagery, you know, for 2000. It's like, uh, you know, you use miniatures, you use all the you you do these practical actual visual effects. Visual effects does not just mean computer graphics. It doesn't mean that a visual effect can be what Chaplin did with like forcing our perspective and making it look like the hallway is infinite, but it just goes to the wall because the way it's painted, you know, goes in. Tennant did that too. Like when he's meeting with that scientist and she's explaining how it all works, it looks like those hallways go back and back and back. You watch the making of, they don't. It's just an old school trick where someone went in and painted a wall, a 3D painting of a hallway. So it looks like it goes back. That's a visual effect that is not achieved with a computer. Oppenheimer has and when I was watching it, I kind of wondered, I was like, all of this looks real to me. Yeah, it does. A, a yeah. real, like, you know, you can do stuff with wind in, uh, on yep. the day. You can do stuff with dust. All, but I'm like, this doesn't look cheap or artificial no. or too clean because visual computer imagery can yeah, be so that's clean what it is. sometimes. It's that's an clean. issue I have with modern cinematography a lot is that these cinematographers are literally typing in their camera movements into a computer, their computer's hooked up to a stabilizing rig, and that's how the camera moves. So it's like, quote unquote, perfect, but we're not feeling like that shaky element of it. I'm just talking too it, much because I'm so fucking excited no, by this. It, it it was the complete difference. Uh, and now uh, I can't believe I'm switching gears again, but to go, go back for to Mission, Imp- Mission Impossible. Sure. Uh, Dead Reckoning Part 1. I loved it. So I, did had, I. I so actually did I. really, really I'm glad enjoyed you liked it, it too. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. I did. It was a lot of fun. Um, the, but I, I really was taken out because I think like all of us, we all know that big stunt that Tom Cruise does in it. Mm -hmm. It's the big stunt of the movie. It's the, you know, there was a whole entire 10, 15 minute, you know, making of that stunt that went They showed like a five minute making of before Avatar 2 in December. (laughs) We all knew it. We all knew it. So we all knew it, right? Now come to like the movie time to show the the final product mm-hmm. of what we're about to see i'll be honest all i noticed was the cgi that was i noticed all, the cgi I, grass that he's going on because i saw yeah. them film it on a white ramp and that yep. grass did not look believable to me no yeah. that's the thing like i get like you can't show like okay yeah this actual ramp you know because that's of course gonna, of course you can't yeah. do that 
everything surrounding the stunt to me looked so fake. So fake. That I'm like, oh, man, like this really sucks because I'm actually getting taken out of this awesome stunt. Well, what's weird is that we all know Cruz fucking did it. So yeah. why not make it look more realistic? And and they didn't really show it for that long. No. Like it cut out of it, I thought, really quickly. And I went, and that was the first thing I texted you about it, is I said, is it an issue that, that making of feature about that stunt was way more impressive than the stunt than in the, the stunt. movie? Yeah. And it, it, I think it is an issue. I do. But yeah, I you're do. right. I, I the think CGI so too. In the tour, like the last 30 minutes of that movie, I don't want to say even that, like the final set piece, because that stunt isn't the final set piece. The final set piece is like really cool by 2023 movie standards, but it was all on a yeah. computer. And you could tell, like, it, it's and, just in a computer. Yeah. And I ended up finding that whole bit to be more impressive yeah. in terms yeah. of me being a film goer and watching it because I know this is all CGI. You know what I mean? Like I'm like, okay, you guys aren't you guys aren't trying to pull the wool over my eyes here, right? But what, right. what I guess what I'm saying is, is when you've got something practical, there was nothing practical about that final set piece, so I'm able to go along with it. But when you're giving me a true practical stunt, don't take me out by layering it with so much fluff yeah that now i don't appreciate the practicality how can you not appreciate a man who's jumping out of a off of a motorcycle going off a ramp and then parachuting yeah and all of a sudden exactly. i'm like oh all right I, I mean when he jumped out of the plane in fallout which i i don't think you've even seen i don't think that was the i one never even saw this. that one he actually jumped out of a plane and that's like you're with him and it's this long shot and this long taken dead reckoning part one i was like wow you really you chopped into this like a lot like i would have if they never showed us that making of stunt and they were like oh yeah no one actually did that that was all like just a computer graphic guy on the motorcycle i probably would have believed that it, it didn't, yeah it, they, they didn't sell that i thought except no. for the making of no. feature which came out eight months ago weird choice i still did like the movie hence still why like i'm seeing it again in a few hours i did like it but back to oppenheimer yeah I mean, no CGI. There's none of that in Oppenheimer. There's no conversation to have with nope. that. Like, oh, that kind of took me out a little bit. There's just none of that. It's all in camera. Really quick. I have to say this because you're going to appreciate it. I just saw a text fly across my computer screen from my mom that's saying that due to her listen to our Christopher Nolan podcast, she just watched Interstellar for the first time uh -oh. and said, this is the best sci-fi movie I've seen in the longest time. <laughs> God damn right. God damn. See what we're doing here on the What Are You Watching <laughs> podcast. We're reaching out to your hearts and minds, changing opinions. Hot off the presses. Nick's mom loves Interstellar. Inter loves Interstellar. What do, you, what do you have to say to that? That's like your second least favorite of his. My second you know, favorite, Nolan. It, we're going we're gonna to get to our re-rankings. Re we're going to see where Oppenheimer fits in here. Oh, I no, love it. That's great. Hey, it, it's, you know, I mean, it is. It's a great sci-fi movie. Just, you know. Now she's got to listen to our Scorsese pod and watch a Scorsese movie because I know she doesn't like him. <laughs> she still needs to see Wolf of Well, I don't know. We'll see. Well, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a tough one. <laughs> the Irishman, man. The Irishman. Parable about getting old. Um, What else? <laughs> what else for Oppenheimer? No CGI. Mentioned that enough. Marveled at that. They filmed Oppenheimer. In 56 days. 56 what? days. You get the How? fuck out of here. How? 
I don't know oh. how you do these things. That's My insane. God. I thought this would have gone on for like hundreds of days or something. That's wild. Killian's like, no, he, because it's all in camera, like we move really, really fast and he just keeps going. Get this, get this. The man doesn't do ADR, which means you re-record your dialogue in post-production. He uses production ADR. Killian Murphy's made six movies with him. He said he thinks he's done five lines of ADR total, total. Some performers redo their entire performance in ADR. You have to re-record everything. I, He's a really old school filmmaker. Chris, Chris I Nolan hate is. ADR. I hate it's it. It's the worst. It sucks. It's the you worst. Can tell. It sucks. Yep. You can and tell when it. I've even gotten Allie trained where she's like, "Oh, that's ADR, isn't it?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." You can you can hear it. You can tell. It's crazy. The the emotion that you get on the day from the performance, it just can't be matched. No. The same way when you try. I mean, you can you you. I I almost feel like you just have to do an imitation. You like you because you can't. Oh my god, I appreciate that so much. That's so cool. I mentioned earlier that they film with one camera unless there's like some huge action set piece. Like when they crash a 747 into a free port, they had about six, you know, they had more cameras for that. But for the most part, for Oppenheimer, Hoyte van Hoytema, the cinematographer, films it all himself. He just puts the son of a bitch on his right shoulder and just goes. These cameras oh. are huge. They use one camera operator. Chris Nolan stands next to him. They have one boom operator. That's it. There are no monitors on his set. There's yes. no video village. There's no playback. There's no everyone gathering around and watching stuff. That's how you film it in 56 days. Not That's playing back it. every scene they watch dailies at the end of every day. Actual film dailies. It's it yeah, it's a really old school way of filmmaking filmmaking that lends itself to how Oppenheimer does not feel like a 2023 movie. It has the propulsiveness of today. It has yeah, some yeah. action scenes that will blow you the fuck away. But for the most part, it's much more grounded in just real human storytelling. And I loved all those little bits of trivia. Now we can uh, move on to the cast a little bit. Uh, yeah, let's start with Killian Murphy. I think uh, like everyone loves this guy. He's just great. Like I came to know him because of 28 days later. Yeah. And then I've really followed his career ever since. And yeah. W what did you think of him here before I give my full opinion? <laughs> it's, it's honestly, uh, it's a tour de force performance. Yeah. You've got the actual, uh, person that he's playing, you know, like you can go back and you can watch the interviews with Oppenheimer, the real guy. I you did that a lot see, this morning yep. before we recorded, which was really interesting. You, yeah, you can see what Killian Murphy. Uh, you can see like that that um, representation, that essence he carries. But moreover, the emotional weight of the movie falls in his eyes entirely. Entirely to to carry the weight of a movie like this so fluidly and so um, and it's not like I'm like amazed because like the dude is such a good actor. Yeah, I think I'm just so happy that, you know, through all of his time of working with Nolan, he's finally got that lead. Right. You know, every other you know, he was even up for Batman at one point, you know, he, he was, was in he he was. was testing. And um, so to be able to see him get like. With his guy, you know, like the, the, they've been friends forever to yeah. be like, hey, you're you, there's no one else that I want helming this lead other than you and him just knocking it out of the park like that. I'm so happy for him. I'm just so yeah. happy. He's such a good actor. And I've listened to a few interviews. He's so like humble about it. And yeah, he is a great actor. And 
Um, I think this is his best work. I think an Oscar nomination has to be uh, forthcoming. I a win is we're, we're, it's still way too early to call that stuff, and that'll all be well deserved. I think we're going to see a lot of people involved with Oppenheimer come January, February. Yeah, I loved him in it. the The whole movie rests on his shoulders to the point where that's not that's not just evident to the audience. That was evident to everyone involved in the film, so much so that Chris Nolan wrote this script in the first person. And Matt Damon has said in all of his years in Hollywood, he's never seen a script written in the first person. So it wasn't Oppenheimer goes and opens a door. It's I go over and open the door. And Nolan said, the reason why I did that is because every other person who comes on board in this movie has to be in service of Killian. This is him. The book this movie is based on is called American Prometheus. It won the Pulitzer. I'm going to start reading it very soon. I'm very excited. Nolan did not want to call it that because he said this movie is about this guy. What he made, the impact it had on him, it's all about this guy. And every actor was in service for that. Like this is a lot of actors have really outstanding scenes, but they are all in support of the man playing Oppenheimer. Beautiful. It's true. Beautifully. There's not a bad cast member in here. No, no. And I want to talk about some of them now. Um, Okay. One thing I want to say about a lot of the actors, almost everyone, as far as I could clock, has some sort of accent and they are all very subtle and they all really work. Even Josh Hartnett is not talking in his real voice. And I really appreciated that. Just appreciated the little fine accent everyone had on it. Just kind of sounding more of the time. I really like that. But Robert Downey Jr. as Louis Strauss. Um, my Oscar, big Oscar Oppenheimer theory is that RDJ is going to be the Jamie Lee Curtis of this Oscar season. I think he's going to be out there because I think he wants an Oscar very badly. And I think he's going to be campaigning like crazy for supporting actor. Yeah. Yeah. I I I thought he was very good. Um, I need to see it again for him, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. When I see it again, I'm going to be paying very close attention to him. But there was a lot more going on to what he was doing than I initially realized. Yeah. And I think that's just the nature of the structure of the movie is that by the time you actually realize what's going on, Mm -hmm. there's so much that happens beforehand that I would love to kind of sit back like, okay, I know where this is going to go now. Let me see where he's coming from. Because he was. He was very, very good. You felt like it it was... uh, compelling to to watch him every little every facial gesture that he made it was just he was so broiled it was it was wild oh great great i loved him matt damon as leslie groves who's just this hard-ass military general i loved him he said that you know no one liked him in real life and he just owned that like that character he just had to get a job done build this fucking bomb that's what we're doing and i thought i thought he played it so well i loved him and the thing is, is like you still like him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think yeah. it's possible to hate Matt Damon. <laughs> like that guy, like, oh my God, he just always, always just does it right. Absolutely. Two love interests love in the film. I love Matt Damon as well. Two love interests in the film, played by Florence Pugh and then later Emily Blunt. Uh both just blew me away. I, I couldn't yeah. I couldn't believe it. For different reasons, I thought what Florence Pugh was doing. Uh, I haven't seen Nolan do anything like that before. And I went, yeah. oh, this is 
I really just fucking dig this. I know why you made this choice. I know why all the actors made the choice. It felt very raw by design. Yeah. And I, I just fucking loved it again. An old stool, an old school style of filmmaking. And then Emily Blunt was like, yeah, she knew what the assignment was. She Ooh. had this fucking heater in her back pocket and yep. she was just waiting to throw it. She knew what it was and she knocked me out. I could feasibly see Oscar nominations for potentially both of them. Emily Blunt, if it comes down to one or the other, she'll be out there. But I, yeah, there is not a bad performance in the movie. The thing is stacked into oblivion, but we're not going to go through all of them, but they're all good. But yeah, I thought these two women were fantastic. Emily Blunt did so much with it, with not a lot, to be honest. Like, like, again, everyone is in service of Oppenheimer in this movie, but Every scene that she's in, we need to understand something about her or Mm -hmm. where she's at. And she's not given a lot of time or a lot of attention. And so she makes something out of nothing every time. And that's not saying like there's a bad script. It's just like, okay, we need you to get across this. And she gets it across beautifully. It's it's um, really, really special watching her performance in this. Yeah, I love that she... Her character is a boozer and is pretty on a yeah. unapologetic about it. And there's no arc in it, like no talk, like, oh, you know, you should get this looked at to take care of. It's like, that's just who she is. And they own it yep. and she sticks to it. I I just appreciated that. I'm like, all right, it's not what the movie's not about her. It's about her very tortured husband. A miserable life she has. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> nothing, I, nothing, I, nothing's good for her ever. <laughs> I don't know if Oppenheimer had a had a very good life once all, after no, forty five was done. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, 100%. she did not. She did not have it easy. But her, you know, they have that moment outside when he admits something to her, and her uh, response oh, yeah. to it was just, "Wow, it was a doozy." Oh, I loved it. I'm gonna yep. rapid fire some of these supporting performances. Stop if you want to call out anyone specifically. Josh Hartnett, always love to see him. Oh, Great to see him so again. So good to see him. He kills it in a new episode of Black Mirror. It was so fun to see him in this as well. Rami Malik, loved him. A lot of these people are popping in for like a scene or two and just putting yeah. their stamp and then getting out. Not unlike, you know, uh JFK or Nixon, where they're bringing in these huge heavy actors for like a scene and then they leave uh robbie malik is a best actor oscar like he just comes in for like two scenes and then he's gone benny zafty great to see him so convincing it's so always great to see him got the role um because he was in licorice pizza and chris nolan and pta are friends and while they were filming that you know they kind of they talked and that's how he arrived at oppenheimer Kenneth Branagh, uh, now a Nolan oh, yeah. staple. Love seeing him. Jason Clark is an asshole lawyer. Always good. Oh, he's Tom so Conti. Good. Oh, he was. Tom Conti is Albert Einstein. A few scenes. It thought he really, really owned it. Alden Enric, who had, took a lot of shit like around Solo, all that stuff. Yeah. I thought he crushed this. Again, not a lot of yep. scenes, but I thought he did so great. I mean, Tony Goldwyn, Matthew Modine, Jack Quaid, Olivia Thurbley. I love Olivia Thurbley. You're missing one huge one. I know the one you're thinking of. I honestly didn't want to reveal it. You, I, I hope we're talking about the same guy. You're talking about who plays the president in the film, right? No. Oh, who are you talking about? I'm talking about David fucking Crumholtz, man. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't know Crumholtz, love. Dude, Crumholtz. <laughs> like, you, like I got, if you're from our generation, this is a guy that we basically grew up with in, in certain ways. Yeah, but I didn't know you were this big of a fan, dude. You got to go watch well, The I, Deuce on HBO. The, well, He's like one of the leads in that. And the dude went from like 
220 pounds in the first season and it clearly had something done and is down to like 120 and and by the last season and it's it's like that's one of the best arcs he's ever had as an actor is in the deuce so, you gotta go watch that all right so okay so i've never seen that so i i kind of just like I remember him from a certain time in a certain era. <laughs> and as soon as he pops in the screen, I lost my mind because I knew immediately oh, I've seen who it him was. a bunch. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm not, I'm not, well then, you know, well, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, you know, you the, the oh, man. <laughs> he's great. I mean, all the way back. Yeah. He's yes. Yeah. What are some of your like favorite early performances from him? I mean, oh <laughs> Jesus. Now I can't think of any. Well, that's good. I didn't know you were that big of a fan. We could have talked about it more. It took 102 episodes to learn you had this hyper. Well, it's not that big of a thing. It's a, it was more of like I I hadn't seen him in years. Oh, I didn't even see, think I he was an actor. Lot. Like, yeah, like like so like so for me seeing him, it was just sort of like, oh, my God, it's David Crumholds. The editing. I want to talk about Jennifer Lame, the editor. She also edited Tenant. She did a great job. I think there was some clear Malik influences on Oppenheimer. And I mean, there were just some montages that I thought were beautiful in the pace of it really want to, you know, didn't want to end an Oppenheimer podcast without talking about how it was assembled. Yeah. Jennifer Lame, anything but lame. She is. Dun-dun-tsh. Nailed that one. The sound <laughs> is good as ever for a Nolan movie. I want to oh. say that um, when a movie is this good with sound, also, using silence can be so damn effective, and it is, and wow. It, it, he stole it from There I Go. Yeah, yeah, he stole it from your short yep. film made in 2016. Yep. You're right, you're right. Yep. That's exactly what he took it from. Never That's been exactly done right. on film before. Never been. Okay, Joker, let's move on to some prompts. We got a few here. Prompt one, give me some good pairings with Oppenheimer. I kind of rattled some off in the beginning, but... You know what? Just one or two of something that if you did a double feature and it wasn't Barbie or something that like because I immediately would say what I've been telling people is I'm like, if you want to get ready for Oppenheimer, don't it, it, this is not Dunkirk. This is not Inception. Do it with some movies that I have to list here. But you want to go first? I, I would go. Well, I think the one immediately that goes to mind is Dr. Strangelove. Yes, I yes. think. I think I think that's a very natural sort of like easy pairing to get some lightheartedness in there, too, but also kind of staying around the same subject. Oppenheimer or how I learned to never stop worrying and hate the bomb. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there you go. It's like, <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Naturally. And then um, I don't know, like there's something about the absor- the uh, absorption of this movie as a biopic mm-hmm. that um that I'm trying to think of another movie that really kind of hones in on something so singular like this. Well, maybe I, um, that's why I, I have the social network, which is a biopic, but a very unconventional one. Yeah, the social network is great. All the president's men as well. To me, it felt very akin to that. People just like sitting in rooms talking about a huge global event in America. I, yeah, those are ones I had. I think it's a perfect movie for him to make right now. Yeah. People have gotten to know him for being the um, huge blockbuster director that he is for all of this action stuff. But to ground this in a person, a real event is real events, plural. Um, I think this was the best move he could have made. And and it is it, it's Nolan all the way, but it's so contained into something so much more effective. Uh, all right, next prompt. Where does Oppenheimer rank in our Nolan rankings, which we just did in our previous episode? Let me rattle yours off really quick. 
11 Dark Knight Rises, 10 Interstellar, 9 Dunkirk, 8 Tenet, 7 Batman Begins, 6 The Dark Knight, 5 The Prestige, 4 Following, 3 Insomnia, 2 Memento, 1 Inception, Where's Oppenheimer going? So it's 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 breaking the top five and wow. it's kicking out. Yep, it's kicking out the prestige. Wow, that's crazy. So you, yeah, you liked it a lot. I fucking yeah. love that. Wow. Yep, a unbelievably well made piece of business. You want me to read yours? I'll read yours because okay, yeah, you, read, you mine. read mine. Yeah, yeah. Let me do a little bit. All right, for Alex, eleven. The Dark Knight Rises. We both agree. Shit movie. Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. Ten. Batman Begins. Of course. Nine. Following. Eight. The Prestige. Seven. Tenet. Six. Six. Inception. Five. Dunkirk. Four. The Dark Knight. Three. Insomnia. Two. Interstellar. One. Memento. Where does it fall? Eight Oppenheimer. And I, I like the what? movie. I like the movie a lot. What? I guarantee I'm calling this right now. That it'll go up? You're going to see. It's oh, going to yeah. go up for you. Oh, yeah. You, I'm, I, you're going to see hedge. it in IMAX and it's going to break your top five. Yeah. I hedge my bets when a movie is this early. You tend to do the opposite. It's okay. It's just a difference. Yep. You tend to have recency bias, which is, that's fine. I need the main thing for me with rankings is time it is i yeah. have to see yep. how repeat viewings are going to do i have to hold it up but yeah could it be above tenet will it get above inception even or dark knight i mean it could it very well could i really loved it again i love all the movies this guy has made i would give oppenheimer an a because i would give tenet and the prestige a's but that's what it's going right in the middle of and i love this movie but yeah i, I did not think you wait. it would hit your top five. That's wild. I can't believe it either. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Awesome. Um, my next prompt we've already answered. Are we going to go back and see this thing in IMAX? Oh, you better believe it. I'm oh, really excited. I can't wait. I have not read any reviews of this movie. I haven't done any box office reports, nothing. So the final prompt I have is how do we think this is going to do on the culture? How's the impact in terms of critics, audiences, Oscars? I think it's going to do well. Again, this is an R-rated movie. This thing isn't going to like financially, I don't know. I think this is going to appeal, maybe not necessarily to the diehard action fans, but to people who just want a smart, mature movie that looks awesome, sounds mm -hmm. awesome, is acted immensely. And yeah, Oscars, I, you know, will it break eight? Will it be Nolan's most nominated film? I think it has a distinct possibility, but I don't, I don't think this is the last we've seen of it. I don't think it's going to receive some of the hate that Nolan's films have, but yeah, I think it's going to do well. No, I I hope so. I hope so for a number of reasons. Is one is because this is such a, like when you said it kind of harkens back to like a seventies type of political thriller in some ways. Um, it, it definitely leaves a lot to chew on it. Uh, I, I, I hope, I hope audiences like that. I I could I could absolutely I on one hand I hope that happens but I could see people being like nah to this movie cuz mm -hmm. I just think we're in a regression when it comes to uh sensibility but that's my business um <laughs> I hope it does really well I really do I I I think it'll do well when it comes time for Oscars as well I think I think it has to it's such a well-made movie Yeah the craft of it just all the technical yeah. aspects have to be honored i mean i would god i would assume universal will do a huge push behind it 
Okay, so that was fun for Oppenheimer. We're going to switch gears here. We're going to move it quickly, I promise. Do it. Because you have not seen it. I think you're going to see it. But last night. Oh, I'm going to see it. At 6 p.m. at an Alamo draft house, I saw Greta Gerwig's Barbie. And I will say that it was more or less what I thought it was going to be, but a better version of it. It was. Oh, good. Yeah, there wasn't like. You know, everyone was there to have a good time. Like I said, all shapes and sizes. I was sitting next to an older couple who laughed and smiled for the majority as I did. On my left was a younger couple who also laughed. They were young kids in there. It's PG-13, but you can I, you can take younger kids to it. You know, like people are dressed up. It's eventized. This is the first eventized movie that we've had in ages, ages yeah. where people – I, there are so many people going to Barbie and or Oppenheimer this weekend who have not been to a theater since COVID, who probably yep. haven't even been to a theater for years before that. I just love that. I love that everyone's talking about movies, even if it's two movies, even if it's for a weekend. Barbenheimer's always going to be a narrative. At the end of the Nolan pod, which was kind of the beginning, I talked about why Barbenheimer is happening in terms of the, the relationship that Chris Nolan had with Warner Brothers that lasted for 20 years. They had a fallout. They had a falling out because Warner Brothers released all their movies on HBO and in theaters in the COVID era. Chris Nolan did not like that. So he switches to Universal for for Oppenheimer. Warner Brothers very deliberately releases Barbie on the same day as Nolan's movie. And the wheel goes round and round. I actually think (laughs) it helps Oppenheimer. Nothing was going to hurt Barbie, but I actually think it's going to send more people to Oppenheimer as an event. Maybe like, you know, the ladies want to go see Barbie, not to generalize. And then the guys want to go see Oppenheimer. So they go see both together. I don't there's all sorts of shit going on. But yes, I like the movie a lot. I liked a lot that it knows how to be very genuine about quote unquote woke culture feminism uh-huh. and it did not in a way that wasn't um in a way that was not didactic but then moreover it knows how to take the piss out of itself and take the piss out of those very things as well oh, and it does cool. that often barbie is a type of movie where every single person who made it is in on the joke and that's basically where my review can end mattel is in on the joke warner brothers yeah. is in on the joke everyone is everyone's in on it Ryan Gosling is a blast and it just Ugh. it just worked. It just fit. It's a really fun movie that doesn't try to be more than what it is. And I, you know, I enjoyed my time with it. Absolutely. I'm seeing it again with my aunt tomorrow and excited for it. It's just fun. So you're saying that the goose is on the loose. Yeah, he is with some talk about CGI. God, with some <laughs> I what I have to imagine are great CGI abs in some fashion because Hey, there. Oh, that's popping. all him, baby. No, I that's seriously all him. doubt that. Nah, there's that's all you Google what you can do with CGI nowadays. Don't you when don't watching, you doubt when we're watching a uh, Dead Reckoning Part One. That's not really Tom Cruise's actual face. There, they can do a lot with kind of touch ups nowadays. I'll say. Well, I'm just gonna forget you said any of that. And, and uh, <laughs> yes, the goose is on the loose indeed. You'll love him in it. You'll love him. He he clearly had a ball doing this. He knew exactly what he was doing. The music is very fun. Very fun. Yeah, it was just fun. You leave feeling like in a good mood. It was like, all right, that was a lot of fun. It's cool. Everyone's talking about movies. The the song for the movie from Dua Lipa, Dance. Yeah, I mean, there's there's that. But there are some. I uh, love Dua Lipa. There's some. I do too. Sure. Yeah. Okay. That was weird. There's some. Uh, no, I'm what? There's some, I like your music. There's some throwback songs in the movie that you're really going to appreciate very much, very much. All right. 
So it's a good time. So you'll have to report back when you watch it. But that was fun. Barbie, Oppenheimer, Barbenheimer. Liked both. Both exceeded my expectations. Didn't have a good screening in one, but I'm excited to go back. (laughs) Rave reviews all around. No shit talking on this episode. Unless you recommend some bullshit here for what are you watching? You have (laughs) gone first in an inordinate amount of times i'll say i've made you go first mm. like nine or ten times in a row it's finally you, i'm happy finally to take it, it on if you want i'm pleasantly revealing something that i am actively watching it is a legit Ooh. what are you watching so it's up to you first second third. oh you're actively watching this is something you're pulling a page out of my book i'm watching it right now that's what i've been doing the entire wow. time we've been recording i believe it I every believe time it. you talk i hit play on it <laughs> Wow. Wow. Un- there come, there's the shit talking. I waited. I waited for the end to talk shit. What an <laughs> asshole. Okay. Well, I'll continue carrying the uh, the weight of this team, and oh. I will sacrifice oh. myself and go first. Oh. Okay. Uh, as I always do, once more into the breach, dear mad movie buffs. So I think I actually referenced this movie before some point on the pod, but I don't remember if it was a what are you watching recommendation, but I do want to do it again for this one because the movie freaks me the fuck out. Oh, boy. And that is Johnny Got a Gun. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 I don't know if you did it for a what are you watching recommendation, but you definitely mentioned it. Yeah. The 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 realities and just... Uh, awfulness of that movie i i um i appreciate but it affects me on such a level that it's so emotionally stressing um if you want to get a little bit of everything you could throw that movie in there do you want to tell people at all anything of like what it's about or anything because this is not like a this is a deep cut movie and i love that you're doing this so johnny got a gun is all about this soldier who went to war who um, goes into battle and wakes up in a cast covered in what's left of his body. He has no arms. He has no legs. He can't talk. And he cannot communicate Mm -hmm. outside of banging his head in Morse code. And so he's just trapped in this um, shell of a life. It's it's if anyone is actually familiar with the Metallica music video one, they actually just use clips from this movie. Oh, that's and that cool. whole entire song is about this. So uh, that that I think it's actually probably more famous because of Metallica than yeah, anyone probably. might that actually happens. know the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but all of that music video footage was taken from this movie. But this the whole entire movie is this and like where it goes and the sadness and desperation and helplessness of it all is just a very, very palpable feeling in the movie. It's not an easy watch at all. But yeah, I, mean, uh, it, yeah, I have not seen this. I mean, you you're taking me back. This is 1971. And this is yeah. the writer Dalton Trumbo's first movie he directed. And he based it on a novel of his. And um, Timothy Bottoms plays the soldier. But you have Jason Robards, Donald Sutherland. Like this is I'm, at, I'm literally sometimes your recommendations do this for me. I'm going to go put this on either later tonight after my double feature or oh my God. Uh, tomorrow morning. What? Oh, I don't care. I'll put it on right now. I'll put it on with you still it's, talking. I know you will. I'll put it on. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it right now. Um, that was great. That's a really good one. That's a really good one. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Okay, cool. I mean, what what am I watching as soon as we're done recording? Like I said, Hitchcock's 
Dial M for Murder, one of my mom's favorite Hitchcocks. I love Ray Milland. I love Ray Milland, the actor. He's He's like right up there with the Monty Cliff level of love. I don't love him as much oh, as wow. that, but I, oh, I love, love Ray Milan. That's, you know, Lost Weekend. It's like one of the towering performances of someone playing an alcoholic, and they made it in 1945. Oh, I love Ray Milan. Love Ray Milan. Got that from my dad, too, because my dad loves him. Anyway, very excited to see that in 3D and seeing Dead Reckoning Part 1 again. But I am watching a bruiser of a miniseries on HBO right now or Max or whatever the fuck it's called. The Idol? No, not The Idol. I finished The Idol. <laughs> the Idol was, uh, uh, that, that was that was a thing. That was weird. The last 15 minutes made no sense. And it, it, very, <laughs> very bad. And I'm this is a shared opinion. Just stupid. No, this is called Full Circle. Oh, Directed okay. by Steven Soderbergh, who also is shooting it and editing it. Ed Solomon wrote the six-episode series. He also wrote Mosaic and No Sun Move for Soderbergh. You know what else Ed Solomon wrote? Do you want to know? Mm. Every single Bill and Ted movie? Men in Black? Charlie's Angels? Great guy, Ed Solomon. Oh, this guy knows what's up. Oh, yeah. This is going to be six episodes. They're releasing them in two-episode batches. I've seen the first four because that's all that's aired. The last two will come out on Thursday. And this is a twisty, really compelling, interwoven web, just like No Sudden Movies, where you're weaving in all these things and like a crime and all these criminals takes place in modern day New York. I really, really like it. It's got a killer Soderbergh cast. Zazie Beetz, who's like (laughs) uh, just remarkable in it. Claire Danes, Timothy Oliphant, Dennis Quaid. CCH Punder, love her. William Sadler. Oh. Oh, she's great. William Sadler. Jim Gaffigan. Is fantastic in this. Fan- oh, that's great. Fantastic. Um, and then a very young, diverse cast of actors who I have not seen in anything before. And Soderbergh is so good at casting these young talent who they, they just feel like the real people. They feel that they're, yeah. it doesn't feel like there's any acting. And like Dennis Quaid is having a lot of fun with his character part. So yeah, actively very much enjoying that. And like Mosaic, like No Sun Move, this is something when I'll watch the last two episodes of Full Circle, I know I will, and then I'll I'll set off like, I'll set aside like five and a half, six hours to watch the whole thing in one go, because there's so many twists and turns and beats, I love it. And, and, my first ever film that I ever made was a short film called Full Circle. So that's just kind of cool. That's I love right, that. That's it's all right. coming around, and you know. It all comes full circle. Yeah, just like <laughs> how Oppenheimer took silence from there i go soderbergh obviously took full circle from my short film made in 2008 which like 14 people saw i mean tribute has tribute has been shown yeah and we great and we gratefully appreciate everyone who made it through our entire christopher nolan podcast we've tried to keep this one just a little bit shorter (laughs) because we have (laughs) shit to do and Everyone needs to go out and see this movie. Go see Barbie. Let us know what you think. I'm on Letterboxd. I log it all. W-A-Y-W underscore podcast. Also find us on Instagram, of course. Also find us on Twitter. Love everyone that's been chatting us up on there. As always, thank you for listening and happy watching. It was needed to put an end to the war and had a chance of so doing. We thought that was the right thing to do. We knew the world would not be the same. Few people laughed. Few people cried. Most people were silent. I remember.
remembered the line from the Hindu scripture, the Bhagavad Gita, Vishnu is trying to persuade the prince that he should do his duty and to impress him takes on his multi-armed form and says, now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. I suppose we all thought that one way or another. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. You can watch my films and read my movie blog at alexwithrow.com. NicholasDostel.com is where you can find all of Nick's film work. Send us mailbag questions at whatareyouwatchingpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at W-A-Y-W underscore podcast. Next time is something fun and different. Similar to how I brought my friend Kat on for the Succession Finale pod, next time it's just going to be Dan and I talking about our favorite movie together, Joe Dante's 1990 masterpiece, Gremlins 2, The New Batch. We kind of keep it together, we mostly stay on track, but I promise it's a lot of fun. Stay tuned.